0: And I'm here to welcome you to the 31st episode of Project Studio Tea Break. Here with me is Fluffy Front Man of Noise, hmm. John Witten. Okay, I know we normally <laughs> only do these in one take. I know duos aren't really the Project Studio <laughs> Tea Break. Wait, fluffy Front Man of Noise. Well, you said last month when I talked about a Fluffy Gorse of Noise that was going to be your band name. <laughs> Oh no, someone who listens to what I say So I think it's seeing you looking so hirsute. It's true <laughs> For those
1: of you on the audio feed rather than the live video experience I, I have sprouted something of a face garden <laughs> Something of a chin thicket mm. Something of a cheek shrubbery mm. Since last we talked I am now officially bearded as, as you can almost
0: certainly hear from my voice Mike, have you earned your tea break this month? I kind of think I have, yeah Okay. A couple of things The spring to mind straight away One is that from doing all this, like, podcasting and live streaming stuff now, you normally have a studio setup that doesn't have lots of microphones and cameras and things around your space. Mm. And so I've been, like, tripping over 100 different mic stands and cables. <laughs> <laughs> and so I deliberately this month decided, OK, I'm going to try and make this thing look a bit more professional. Okay. And so I've mounted these microphones and cameras on brackets on the desk. And there's one that's kind of on a bracket up from the ceiling that's kind of coming down. Oh, so I feel so kind of... Sitting in the Millennium Falcon at the moment. <laughs> <laughs> so pleased about it. And, and up to the
1: minute reference there—that mm. is wonderful. Incidentally, I'm going to finally make this messy thing look a bit more professional. Is the same thought process behind me growing a beard? <laughs> that was weirdly exactly the same <laughs> words that went through my head.
0: But then to undercut that kind of cutting-edge, futuristic <laughs> vision that you have, I've also been making cider. <gasps> Oh, so <laughs> so you have. I've been juicing my own apples. Oh,
1: Mike, that is more than a bit exciting. <laughs> I'm surprised it took you this long. You'll be you'll be culturing your own cheese next. We've made elderberry vodka. We've made redcurrant vodka. Ooh. We're about to make slow gin. So no, I think that sounds to me like you've you bloody earned this time off this tea break. Yeah. What What about you? Often in our line of life, the social and the professional. Sort of blur. And I love it or I hate it you wind up working with friends and friending with work people. Hmm. And, you know, on the one hand, that's lovely. You get a chance to work with people you like. That's great. It also has its own complications. I was <laughs> chatting with a director a couple of days ago who needs to fire an actor, but they've been friends since they were 10 years old. Oh, no. And so what do you do? Oh, God, yeah. It's tough. But what that also means is that often my most important meetings every year happen at the Edinburgh Fringe Festival. Ah, yes, of course And these meetings consist of going out drinking Well, of course In pubs in Scotland I mean, that was just taken as read, as far as I was concerned Right, see, thank you Yeah. To you, that is completely obvious That these all-nighters with a bunch of producers During which we maybe don't even talk much about work No Are vital, because then in, in two months' time
0: They'll have a project come up and they'll remember I exist. Too the much time, they'll sober up. Well, okay, these these are produce theater
1: producers, Mike. They, they,
0: oh, sorry, yeah, of course. Yeah. They'll stabilize
1: to some degree.
0: We're talking about a different scale, Hair of the mm. Lion, and all that. But <laughs> so the,
1: the, these are the important meetings. So I have recently come back from a, a wonderful ten day residency in Poland called the Palace Collective, which is hundred and ninety artists in a palace. Oh wow! In Poland, given these are COVID times, there was testing on the way in yeah and no re-entry so once you were there you were just there and one of these wonderful kind of freestyle residencies where almost nothing was booked oh, okay instead there was a theater space a cinema space mm. a large costume area with lots of sewing machines and craft materials and wow prop building stuff dance studio that sounds fabulous in all in this crumbling down vallis. And if you wanted something to happen, you just had to do it. Yeah. So you'd meet someone at breakfast and realise that you were both into, well, in my case, into 16th century church music. Of course. And then that afternoon, a choir existed. Because you just wrote it up on a board. Oh, fabulous. And <laughs> you're, you're singing Bruckner's Graduale, which was bloody lovely.
0: Well, you know, when I was at college, I had to learn to write 16th century counterpoint.
1: (gasps) Oh, I'm nerd jealous of you.
0: And our lecturer said, and absolutely deadpanned this, he said, you see, the secret to learning to write 16th century counterpoint is practice. Hmm. So what I recommend is that you get together in groups of an evening and select some Palestrina mass and sing through a movement together. And if it doesn't sound quite right, have a glass of wine, and sing it again. (laughs) (laughs) And I took him at his word. What? (laughs) And the Palestrina parties that we had were legendary. (laughs) There is nothing I
1: want more
0: than to have a Palestrina party. And I think this, for me, falls perfectly on that
1: spectrum of, on the one hand, it's you dossing about and doing, doing exactly what you want to do. On the other what better way Mm. to kind of really entrench your knowledge of counterpoint now (laughs) there are those who could ask how important is it to deeply entrench your knowledge of 16th century and i'd say well we just don't understand each other at that point we're we're from two different worlds it
0: is art for drinking's sake
1: (laughs) (laughs) That's a baseball cap i would wear no i feel like that has to be some sort of patreon stretch goal <laughs> Once the vaccine is out That you know Yeah We can invite people To some Palestrina parties
0: <laughs> We can have that As the after show For our live oh, <laughs> Live events Oh my goodness Yes Or just the warm up It's live taping And
1: Palestrina party If you arrive an hour early Then it's just us With a bottle of wine On the stage Doing
0: whatever <laughs> The bass and the tenor <laughs> And then And the Missa Papi Marcelli Oh yes I can confirm That I sang The Missa Pape Marcelli Half cut We lack <laughs> <In that> context <laughs> (laughs) A perfect mixture of the sacred and the profane. I think so.
1: Positively Rabelaisian. Mm. So, over these ten days, I took part in a um, theatrical wrestling competition. I learnt some contemporary (laughs) dance. I sang a lot of Purcell. I um, learnt how to play a couple of Aboriginal Australian instruments. I was part of a theatre piece where a nine-metre-tall giant in a purple dress was walking around. (laughs) It was wild. Yeah. And the, the sort of situation where more than once I was running up to the costume department saying, who can modify this skirt? You know, in 10 minutes, we have a performance. Yeah. And the skirt. Let me through, I'm a seamstress, kind of thing. Precisely. I briefly did some modelling. Wow. Just because I was the nearest person when a photographer started panicking. That something could be draped over. Yeah. Yes. Oh, yes. Maybe clothes horse is actually what I mean. Um, which was... Simultaneously, completely exhausting, huge amounts of fun, and yeah, good work. Fabulous. So, I think if anyone deserves to just sit huddled in a corner with a cup of tea...
0: Crumbs, I'm amazed you can even lift the cup. (laughs) Oh, I've got a long straw. This month, the gods of Project Studio Tea Break News smile once more warmly upon your Favorite episode. <laughs> is this... Upon your latest episode. Yeah, wait a minute. Sorry, we're already claiming this is their favorite episode? I like
1: that. Let's go in with that energy, that confidence. It's that braggadocio. This is gonna be your favorite episode, whether
0: you like it or not.
1: Those last 30 were a warm-up. Yeah, they were a
0: half-assed, half-cocked.
1: Wow, well, sorry, Errol. Uh, warm-up. And we're we're
0: going in fully fledged and, and fully cocked anyway so one of the things that makes news such a joy this month is that this year's ignoble awards have been announced
1: oh i'm so glad to hear it
0: and uh, for those who aren't aware of the ignoble awards this is a kind of a parallel awards ceremony to the nobel prizes where the principle is that they are just random bizarre and funny things that have been researched but they're meant to make you laugh and then meant to make you think.
1: Yes, and they reliably do.
0: And as usual, the media have only scratched the surface of <laughs> what these bits of research offer. And your intrepid project studio tea-break investigator has plumbed the
1: depths.: I was going to say, the media besides us, besides the real investigative, beating heart of the world project studio tea-break, yes, yeah,
0: yeah now. The Acoustics Award this year is my uh, first topic of inquiry here. Now, we know that in humans, vocal formants play an important role in the way our voices are perceived. Vital. This is the reason why we have formant-corrected pitch shifting, is because if you shift the formants up or down in pitch, Mm. it changes the perceived gender of the speaker. Mm. But also, we get quite a strong cue from where the formants are in the frequency spectrum as to what the body size of the speaker is. Oh, interesting. Okay. You know, when you hear a low formants, you tend to think that you're hearing someone larger in body size. Mm. Whereas high formants, you associate more with, you know... Your chipmunks. Okay, yeah. Your small creatures. And this principle is also the case in a lot of other animals. A lot of mammals demonstrate this, and also a lot of birds. But <laughs> it is not the case, apparently, in frogs and toads. Okay. I think they're called aneurons. You know, formants don't really play a role in their sound creation. And so, of course, you don't even need to say it. I'm sure <laughs> you and the listeners are already asking yourselves
1: miles ahead of you, I'm sure. What about
0: reptiles? (laughs) Asking the hard-hitting questions. I mean, you know, obviously birds are descended from dinosaurs. Mm. In the same way modern reptiles are descended from that same kind of branch you know so are they more like birds so that these formants have meaning or are they more like the amphibian kind of branch of the frogs and toads i'm so
1: looking forward to being able to sleep easy again once i finally have this question put to rest well
0: i knew this was troubling you (laughs) on a nightly basis mike i've been i've been a wreck so you'll be delighted to know that an international team of intrepid researchers have set out to answer this crucial question uh-huh. with the help of a 1.2-meter-long female Chinese alligator. <laughs> my head's in my hands. Okay. <laughs> At the St. Augustine Alligator Farm Zoological Park in Florida. Can we give her a name? I looked for a name, but there was none there, and I thought that was a massive oversight. I I, you know, I couldn't agree more. Let's call her Massive Oversight. <laughs> Mm. You might say, well, why choose a crocodile? But there's a reason to choose a crocodilian. Arguably, okay. You see, crocodilians are amongst the most vocal non-avian reptiles.
1: Okay, so noisy and don't fly. Yeah. I can
0: agree with that as regards crocodiles. It's also important to deal with crocodilians because body size is a big deal for them. Okay. Females apparently will only mate with bigger males. And their size also affects all their other like territorial interactions. The biggest crocodiles and the biggest alligators are top of the pecking order.
1: Okay, so communicating body size is going to be kind of top of their
0: list of priorities. So, so they performed the following experiment. So, so glad. (laughs) They put this crocodile... Massive oversight. uh, Sorry, they put Massive Oversight herself into an airtight tank. Okay. Which had a vent to open it to the air.
1: Okay, so like, at this point, I would say that it's the opposite of an airtight tank. Sorry, scientists.
0: Well, it was valved. So the idea is that the air inside the tank was separated from the air outside the tank. Okay. They then induced Massive Oversight herself to bellow by playing her recorded bellows to respond to. <laughs> okay. And they set up a Sennheiser ME66 short shotgun mic, which of course is mm. well-suited for recording crocodiles in the wild or alligators in the wild. I believe that's the first slide on their website, yes. <laughs> Feeding, I was also interested to see a Zoom H4n portable recorder. So next time you use one of those, think that this is the cutting edge of alligator research. Certified alligator safe. Absolutely. <laughs> Although I was appalled that they only did it at 16-bit 44 kilohertz. Of oh, course. I mean, what kind of low-res... I was going to say, are they recording stuff for the new Super Mario game? Maybe they just had a recording time problem because I think they recorded 126 bellows in total for this experiment.
1: Goodness if you think your editing job is tedious... <laughs> Imagine scrubbing through one of those.
0: I wonder where the crocodiles go on massive dive- versions as well and they go bellow uh, um um bellow i'm now just picturing a live room control room thing where massive
1: oversight does a bellow and then the, the engineer is just hitting the talk being like hey massive that was um that was lovely thank you we are going to go for another one yeah this is number 119 just a little bit more crocodilian this time just have fun with it okay
0: thanks so much Let's roll again anyway so so they induced massive oversight to bellow mm. Then, by increasing the water level and then reducing it back down and filling the void with a helium-oxygen mixture... Oh, my God, yes! (laughs) I didn't think this was going to get any better, but we have... They then induced massive oversight to bellow again... While breathing heliox. Oh, I'm
1: so glad. (laughs) So glad.
0: As anyone who has ever huffed a party balloon will tell you, (laughs) breathing in helium shifts your vocal formants upwards and gives you the kind of chipmunk voice. And the reason it does this is because it's less dense than air. And so the speed of sound in helium is higher. And that's what makes your formants appear to be higher in the frequency spectrum.
1: It's a wonder to behold.
0: And of course, recorded the uh, alligator again. Mm -hmm. And they came to the conclusion that because the bellows appreciably shifted formant. Yeah. So you've got a chipmunked alligator. <laughs> that alligators do have useful, important vocal formants.
1: That is a useful part of the information for them.
0: And that perhaps the same could be said of dinosaurs given the bird and crocodilian heritage.
1: Okay, so at this point, I go from interested to fascinated. I go from an enthusiastic bystander to a co-sponsor who's wanting to invest their life savings into this.
0: Well, if you want to fund further research, they suggested that further tests should be conducted with emus. (laughs) Really, primitive, As primitive,
1: like dinosaur ancestor birds. Okay, I'm going to get me some party balloons. Are going to go find
0: me some emus? <laughs> as usual with a lot of this research, I'm left with a number of questions.
1: I'm, I mean, you're not the only one, but let's <laughs> let's rattle through what we can.
0: I had thought that this would be comparatively pioneering. Mm. But as I began to dig a little bit beneath the surface, I understand that this is not the first experiment that has been done by causing other creatures to breathe in heliox.
1: Okay... <laughs>
0: It was done with frogs and toads to ascertain that they had no formants back in 1993.
1: Oh, my goodness. Wait, that's that's only a decade after Spinal Tap was released. (laughs) Mm. Of course, humans were the very first back in 1962. Always begin with human experimentation. Boy, am I to understand then that with toads and frogs, upon breathing helium... They don't get higher?
0: It's to do with the source filter model of sound production. Okay. That with humans and crocodiles and birds, mm-hmm. you have a source that is like these vocal folds that create the actual raw sound, and then the vocal tract is like, acts like a filter on it. Okay, a sort of subtractive synthesizer? Absolutely. And so with the frogs and toads study... They were saying that the sound that the frog produces, Mm. it is the sound source without a filter. It doesn't filter the sound when it produces it. Right. Now, the thing is, I queried this too because I thought, hang on, how could it even be possible that it wouldn't be filtered in some way if it was creating the sound somewhere in its body? Yeah, yeah. And the actual details of the study was whether, you know, that big bulging pouch that comes out underneath their chin? Well, yeah. Whether that affected formants.
1: Oh, interesting.
0: It said that all the stuff beyond the larynx wasn't affecting it as well in the study. And if they did it with the helium thing and didn't find the shifting, then you have to kind of assume it's the same. But I wonder whether maybe... They'd misread the research and that it was just this bulging throat bit that wasn't formant-related and that actually they still had formants.
1: That wasn't a filter.
0: Further research needs to be conducted, clearly. Okay, so the
1: pre-show is singing Palestrina. The post-show is bring (laughs) your pets, we'll bring a bunch of helium balloons and we'll, we'll just see what happens, I reckon.
0: They did bats in 1973, birds in 1987, gibbons in 2012. Gibbons. Oh, my word. Okay, and actually, I can I can add
1: one creature to your list, which I bet isn't on there. Okay. And I don't know the exact date. This was sometime in the last 20 years. This is not an official study, but it has been done. Mm. Someone connected a helium party balloon to the bellows of a bagpipe. <laughs> and I can confirm that it absolutely has the expected <laughs> effect and sound hellish oh wow an extra large dose of just upsetting i'm so onto youtube again (laughs) (laughs) i don't know if there's ever been a video of of course there's been a video of it i mean really can there not be a video of that it is taking every ounce of professionalism in my body not to alt tab (laughs) (laughs) and just just have a peek but i'm not and it's very impressive that i'm not
0: i mean my other question is what must the alligator have been thinking? I know, I know. What's happened to my voice? I mean, the distress. Yes, absolutely. I would have thought to an alligator, unsuspecting alligator, shut in a box that was airtight. <laughs> 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 and kept filling up
1: with water. <laughs>
0: Suddenly his voice going all weird. Yeah. And it gets worse. The researchers suggested that you know they still don't know exactly which cavities in the animal's head and which mechanics are causing the formants. Okay. So they suggested that the next stage of the research would be X-raying vocalizing crocodiles. Oh, massive oversight, you poor soul. So let's make them breathe heliox and then irradiate them. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Poor old alligators. I wonder what the identity crisis of massive oversight must have been because Mm. presumably, not understanding exactly what Heliox does and its mechanics, Mm. she just experienced shrinking suddenly.
0: Yeah. I mean, maybe with a male crocodile, it would have been worse. It's hard to say. There would have been the body size reduction and this suggestion of gender fluidity that had never before perhaps encroached upon his brain.
1: Crocodilians are problematically heteronormative. This is something that we do know from earlier research. Well, well, there we go maybe
0: this is actually going to help expand their horizons
1: a bit maybe this could be <laughs> okay god i have so many funding applications to write after this recording Mike.
0: <laughs> now headphones are one of the critical components of any project studio They're just important. A brave, controversial, but true
1: statement. What we have come to expect from the Mike Senior brand. I I think I am willing to climb
0: up on that hill with you and stake my claim. (laughs) Headphones are useful for music. Now... As someone who does a lot of audio work, I have more than one pair of headphones. Should hope so. And specifically, I have two pairs of very high quality headphones. Okay. That I use for more like critical mixing, listening work. Mm -hmm. I have a pair of Sennheiser Mm HD650s and a pair of Dynamic DT880s.
1: Okay. Those are both lovely sounding names. They could be (laughs) robots in Star Wars.
0: They are both true studio quality, monitoring quality headphones. Lovely. Of the two, Mm. I think I marginally prefer the Dynamic ones because they sound tonally a little bit more like my main speakers. Okay. Now, I'd like to tell another one of our famous facepalm stories regarding these two pairs of (laughs) headphones. I'm pulling up a stool in front of the fire in your big armchair. (laughs) Hit me up. Well, several years ago... I decided to review one of those boxes that makes it sound like you're listening to speakers when you're listening to headphones.
1: Okay, yeah, I've heard of these. We've spoken briefly of them.
0: And it turned out to be the only one of them I've ever tested that actually works. Okay, impressive. But you need a good pair of headphones for it, of course, hmm. so that you can hear what's going on. And so I had the choice when I started the review process, which pair of headphones I would use as the pair I like sampled into their system and used with the system. Ah. And I thought to myself, well, the DT880s are the ones that I am generally prefer using in a general sense. Yeah. I know what I'll do. I'll use the Sennheisers instead, because then I can leave those plugged into the thing and still have my favorite pair of open back headphones for all my other work. Okay, available for everything outside of that. And under the general assumption that there was nothing separating them but this general tonal flavour. Yes. But there was one small, subtle element of physical design that I came to rue. Oh, <laughs> please tell At me. leisure, during the year-long review process. Year-long? Well, yes. You see, here's the thing. I have listened to probably a dozen of those kinds of systems mm-hmm. and they've never worked for me because I have mutant ears and it's all to do with heavy <laughs> and stuff. Wait a minute, wait a minute. You can't and... just
1: gloss over mutant ears.
0: <laughs> well, the thing is all those 3D audio on headphones things mm-hmm. They rely on the software knowing the complicated EQ things that your ear shape does to the sound when it comes from different angles. Right. And everyone's ears are as unique as their fingerprints. Okay, yeah, that makes sense. And as you grow up, by seeing where things are coming from and then hearing how that makes them sound from that angle, you learn how to interpret your own ears.
1: You get a reference for, okay, so this kind of EQ means that it was behind me and down. Or, uh, yeah, I'm with you so far.
0: Now, you can measure this for individual people. Mm. And this measured frequency response by angle is called a head-related transfer function, an HRTF. Mm. And whenever you listen to one of these generic 3D audio systems over headphones... What you're hearing is you're hearing a situation where they've measured or estimated what a relatively representative head-related transfer function for most people is. What a normal non-mutant ear might do. Yeah. You get various generic HRTFs to choose from to try and find the one that suits you best. Mm. But I've never found a system where that matches strong enough with my ears that it creates the 3D audio experience sufficiently well. What a pain. And this system that I tried was the only system that actually tested your own one. Oh, so how does that work? You have little microphones you put in your ears as part of the setup process.
1: So it's not you asking your opinion of where you think different sounds are coming from and... Revert. No, you just... it
0: tests your ears. Wow! And it's the only one of those systems... That has ever worked for me. Mm. And I so couldn't believe it that I kept the review unit for about a year Mm. before I couldn't deny that it worked (laughs) to myself. So you really made them wait for those five stars. Totally. But yeah, anyway, all that aside, it meant that I was checking this monitoring system for a good year with these Sennheiser HD650 headphones. Now... (laughs) Let me explain what's right about the DT-880s for the moment. Okay, yeah, let's, let's start there. Now, both the DT-880s and the 8650s go over your ear, they're lovely and comfortable, and they have these soft velour ear pads. Delightful. Now, on the DT-880s, that velour covering extends slightly beyond the earcups. Mm-hmm. So, if you sit the DT-880s on your desktop on the side, mm. the velour rests on the table, not the earcup. It slightly extends past the earcup. But with the HD650, the ear cup rests on the table, not the velour. Yeah. Now, one of the incredible functions that this speaker virtualization system had that showed how confident they were that it was any good (laughs) was that it had a head tracker on your head so it could detect your head rotations. Okay. But if you took your headphones off, it would detect from the head tracker that you'd taken your headphones off, switch off the speaker virtualization and switch the speakers back on. Oh, wow. So you could literally A, B, the simulation and the actual speakers you were listening to just by taking your headphones on and off. Ah. I I can see your excitement. Three grand gets you a lot. I was excited too. My palms were sweaty. (laughs) Under which circumstances the HD 650s get a little bit slippery to handle. Oh, no. Because they're a lovely shiny finish. Oh, no. (laughs) So the number of times I took them off and then in haste tried to put them back on again... My hand slipped off one of the earcups. It seemed invariably to be the <laughs> left-hand side one. <laughs> and then I'd hammer myself with the eye socket with, with mm. the cup. with an an unplushed protected (laughs) ear cup. Oh God, even just thinking about it now brings a little kind of throb of pain memory to my eye socket. (laughs) Oh no. Oh, and it would always catch Uh. just that edge by the top left hand side of my eye socket. The rim, oh my word Mike. I am
1: feeling your pain in a literal way.
0: And the number of times I bewailed the choice of the HD 650s over the HD 880s for the process. (laughs) Yes. And the thing is I've also done this like on location sessions stuff because mm. you're always taking your headphones on and off if you're checking your headphone mixes and usually what I'll do is I'll have a pair of headphones plugged into the control room mm. so that I can check headphone balances on the headphones Yeah. and the number of times I've been rushing around and grabbed the headphones and <laughs> myself in the <laughs> eye with them
1: oh my word
0: and also it makes such a belittling noise when you get this kind of plasticky clack <laughs> as you- Yourself in the face with a pair of headphones. It's just it's such a bad look. Not only is the look <laughs> and the sound not
1: great, I can't imagine trying to get sympathy from a loved one. How am I hurt? Oh, darling, that looks horrible. What whatever happened? I whacked myself in the face with my headphones. <laughs> with my own headphones. Which I was holding. And I can just imagine <laughs> the concern and the sympathy and the empathy. And some amount of the respect just sloughing away in an instant and seeing it
0: in their eyes. The thing is, this continually happens, this kind of thing. It it most recently happened, though, when I was doing some headphone reviewing. Okay. And in that kind of situation, you'll have, like, four or five pairs of headphones around, all plugged into the same multi-output headphone amp. Mm. And you'll be swapping between headphones. Of course, and you've got to do it pretty quick (gasps) because you want to get, like, a good sense of the... (laughs) You you can see where I'm coming from there. I kind of can. Oh, So high on my list of pros and cons for any headphone review now is is how hard the outer casing of the headphone is, (laughs) how strong the headband spring is, how grippy the outer cups are. I think you
1: should get some of that spray insulation foam. You know, you can spray to anything and it expands and then hardens. Yes. And you should just put that on any hard surfaces of any headphones. before you begin the reviewing process.
0: Or maybe I need a special uh, headphone reviewing hat that has a padded brim. You need a a hockey playing goalie mask. Or a kind of John McEnroe headband or something. Fencing hat, beekeeping. Oh, I see branded Project Studio T-Brain merch in the future.
1: (laughs) This is where we should begin. Not a t-shirt, not a mug, but a fencing helmet.
0: Specifically
1: for earphone reviewing. It is a sad truth of the world that not everyone can be as smart as us. Mm, mm. So we get questions. We do. And it is our noblest org, <laughs> or however you say that, to offer our pearls of wisdom. Let them rain down like dollar bills in a CD bar.
0: Wow. That's a blizzard of metaphors, that is. <laughs> Should we restart this, this
1: segment? I'm not, I'm not sure if I've landed an intro. I, I started with such confidence. You don't know, I'm going to continue that way. This is the intro. Okay. <clears throat> Our question this month comes from Barbara in Bennington, who says... Hello, Barbara. Hello, Barbara. Babs. Babbers. <laughs> Babbers in Ben-Ben. Hey, as we speak... Engineers are composing the sound of electric cars. A new regulation in Europe and the United States dictates that they have to make noise when going up to 30 miles an hour. Oh, wow. Um, Is this like a job creation thing? <laughs> <laughs> we'll solve unemployment. We'll get every kid on garage band in their bedroom to just make vroom vroom noises. <laughs> so she says. I put it to you two, Mm. uh, the two finest musicians of our age. She hasn't said that, but I think it's implied. Yeah, I was getting that kind of between the lines. Um, Subtext. (laughs) If this was your job, what would the sound of electric cars be? So I fell down a total rabbit hole... (laughs) on this one hey that's my job (laughs) yeah i was gonna say and it took me to stonehenge and so this is called an avas or an avas this sound that they have to make below 30 miles an hour yeah it's because they're so quiet it's because it's dangerous for pedestrians because they sneak up behind them yeah it's kind of funny that we've made a car that doesn't have engine noise and now we're having to put i guess speakers in it (laughs) i guess somewhere there
0: are just little speakers connected to A small iPod equivalent? You know, normally you take your car to the garage because it's making a funny noise. Mm. In future, you might have to take it because it's not making a funny noise anymore. <laughs> <laughs> or might there be might there be different sounds for different mechanical faults in the car. When it detects something, it makes a rattle. Well, why not? <laughs> yes, a ka-chunk, 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 ka-chunk. Mm.
1: Oh, my God, you'll get to define the swing on your ka-chunk, ka-chunk. You'll have a swing <laughs> slider, and you can have a straight one, you can have a wonky one, you can have a straight thirds one. But if you do take it to a mechanical... Like, would you take it to a mechanic or would you take it to a hi-fi repair place? (laughs) Is this going to be the rebirth of the hi-fi repair industry? Oh, wow. Because it is just going to be an outward-facing stereo. Yes. From this point on, we are all those people playing our phone out loud on the bus. (laughs) Because for some reason, I can't get over this hump of this is not a sound your car makes. This is music you're playing. Projecting out of your car. It's Foley.
0: It's car Foley.
1: (laughs) This is wild to me. Forgive me, listeners, if this
0: is not quite as wild to you, but this is wild to me. It'd be like buying a pair of slippers. And then as you're walking along, it makes kind of crunch, crunch, crunch noises like you're on gravel.
1: Riding a horse, which has something stuck to it that make the clip-clop, even if you're on grass. Actually,
0: I've been thinking this for a while. Mm. Our cat, the other day, now bear with me here, disappeared for a couple of days.
1: I'm sorry to hear that.
0: And we weren't really sure where he'd gone or anything. We were worried that he might have snuck into someone's shed or something without them hearing, and then they shut the door. Yeah. It would apply just the same to the cat. You could get a collar that makes little clip-clop noises as he goes around, so you, you don't <laughs> shut him in the shed or the garage or the basement or something.
1: Wait a minute. We have literally just reinvented the cowbell, <laughs> <laughs> which, is, which is good. the cat bell. It's a fantastic invention, and it's going to change samba music for the rest of time. But that's what cowbells are.
0: Yeah, and maybe it should be a real cowbell. More cowbell!
1: Wait a minute. <laughs> like, we have cracked it. Take that, Hans Zimmer. Take that man-made music. We've done it. Mm. So, this isn't entirely new. The sound of soundless vehicles is something that films have had to deal with for
0: forever. Well, yeah. Is there actually a shortage of car foley? <laughs> <laughs> i mean i'm amazed they don't have all this stuff already in the library i look i could go on
1: freesound.org yeah incredible website go there donate to their work and find some pretty good car sounds but it's interesting car companies have taken this as a branding opportunity yeah and none of these electric cars i guarantee you are going to sound like cars ah right and i was not being facetious when i name checked hans zimmer You're kidding me. No, because BMW has a new electric car
0: and Hans Zimmer has composed it. Oh my God. Are there no depths to which the Zimmer will not stoop?
1: (laughs) I mean, just imagine the audience for that sound. Yeah. Not only is it the car is driving sound, but he's composed the when you press the start button sound oh wow the indicator noises he has done a complete sound design of this card wow and it sounds mike exactly like you're imagining (laughs) <laughs> no, I'm not going to say that Hans Zimmer hasn't done the work. All
0: I'm going to say is that he did the work over the last 20 years. He reached into your subconscious and pulled out the sound that he knew was there for the for the sound of a whizzy space age electric car.
1: Thank you, because you read these press releases, they talk about smooth pulsing.
0: Yeah, <clears throat> pulsing. <laughs> That's my
1: voice pulsing
0: i mean pulsating surely
1: i'm sure extra value bordering on throbbing <laughs> um but Wizzy space age is actually the name of this genre of music and it's quite cool nissan has another one by man-made music the people who did the imax sound oh crumbs and the dolby
0: digital surround the big guns are coming out but you'd expect that at the auto industry there's so much money in there
1: i know i know you can just sort of pour it down on these huge names
0: i mean i can see the future here mm-hmm. there's already something in your car that has been making sound for ages and that's your sat nav oh you know that they're gonna start selling packs that make your car sound like the millennium falcon i know or they make this sound like the car from back to the future or postman <laughs> pats car for kids well i've got my own favorites <laughs> we
1: may have even talked about it here in the Dark Knight Batman films... <gasps> do you happen to know how they did the sound of his motorbike? No. Didn't they use something like a Lion's Roar or something? That was for the car, which also sounded awesome. Yep. But no, the motorbike was a modified shepherd tone. Oh. Because they didn't want gear changes, but they wanted this idea of continuous acceleration.
0: You'd not told me that. That is so cool. So, for anyone who
1: doesn't know the barber pole illusion, also called the shepherd scale or the shepherd tone... Give it a Google, it's incredible, it's this sound which appears to always rise or always fall. But it goes on forever. Yeah. You know, you can loop it and you get the idea that it's always, always, always going up. Basically, someone has hacked your auditory system. It's disconcerting and uncomfortable to listen to. But hey, you're here. So I'm going to assume you don't mind that. (laughs) Um, So that's got to be an option. That's got to be an option for these cars. Yeah. How long? Because obviously, this is a a loop that gets played. Yeah. And in Nissan's case, every kilometre per hour you increase... It plays 1% faster and raises 1% in pitch. Right. How long do you think the loop is?
0: I'd kind of expect it to be long enough that you wouldn't really notice it repeating. So like 20 or 30 seconds.
1: Yeah, that's about what I would say. It's two and a half seconds long. Why? In both BMW and Nissan's case. And (laughs) to hear them talk about the challenge, the hardest bit is what you'd think it would be. It's to not have the sound be too, quote unquote, fatiguing. (laughs) and anyone who hasn't had that word applied to their work fatiguing means I hate listening to it fatiguing means
0: annoying fatiguing means grating fatiguing means I mean on two levels this seems to me to be insanity (laughs) the first level is that if you just look at any kind of sound of a car or anything that we hear that has a consistent sound in the real world Mm. it never repeats Mm. it's always slightly different you know when you gun your porsche every time it's gonna sound a bit different. when it sits there purring it's not gonna purr entirely consistently yeah so they've built into it that it's gonna grate on you because it repeats (laughs) and it just drives me nuts because what is it are we short on ram <laughs> there was more delay time in an old ams delay back in the early 80s i mean for heaven's sakes is it basically just a public admission of the attention span of a bmw board member
1: there you go that
0: actually it was a 30
1: second long loop mm. but after two and a half seconds they said, yeah fine use that yeah <laughs> So technically the only piece to get approved. So they only used the approved bit. I wonder if there has ever been a per minute more expensive sound produced.
0: Yeah, I bet there is. These are flagship electric cars. What could possibly be? A Windows startup logo. Oh. Or an Apple startup logo. Also, that's Steve Vai.
1: Did you know the Windows startup sound is Steve? I'm going to get this wrong. No, it's not. Who is it? (laughs) Welcome to a peek behind the curtain, everyone. I'm on Google. (laughs) I was sure.
0: No, Brian Eno. Ah. Brian Eno did the Windows 95. Okay. That's exactly the polar opposite that I'd expect because I could not imagine a world where Steve Vai could compose that few notes. (laughs) (laughs) Whereas Eno, I mean, that's his
1: wheelhouse. (laughs) No, but for Eno, this is his like Brandenburg Concerto. Yes. This is his, like, absolute note salad.
0: His most condensed
1: and to-the-point work of art, perhaps. This is his black page. Okay. That's that's the level that we're looking at um, with this Windows 95 startup sound. It's lovely. So what was the question now that we've been talking about this for 10 minutes? <laughs> <laughs> Let me steer us subtly back to Barb's question, mm. which is, what if we had the power? Maybe we do. Maybe Barbara is at Ford or peugeot or another car company and <laughs> wants us to design this sound what are we gonna make it now obviously beatles drive my car
0: yeah i mean there's so many on there is up there little red corvette greased lightning yeah wheels on the bus
1: <gasps> wait no Grease Lightning is perfect. <laughs> and do you
0: know how Grease... Because I
1: love this kind of speed responsive thing. I think that's vital to it, feeling like you're really driving. Yeah. You know that bit in Grease Lightning where they go, 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 go. It's just goes. Yep. But they increase in frequency as you speed up. And slow down. <laughs> and it's just so go, 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 go. Go. I think that's a favourite. Yeah. But also, I'm going to slightly broaden this. Yeah. We're sound designing the whole car. We're doing a Zimmer. So equally, if you have like a left indicate, I mean, I can't imagine how it could be anything except Beyonce's "To the Left, To the Left."
0: <laughs> what, what then is a
1: right indicator sound?
0: Sweet Home Alabama. <laughs> Wait, why is that? To- oh,
1: oh. Oh, you got political on me. It's early in the morning. I didn't
0: see that one coming. Touche, sir. What about. Oh, I mean, obviously, you hit the break and he goes, Stop in the name of love. <laughs> Alternatively, stop
1: hammer time. <laughs> <laughs> and anytime you even like, rest a hand on the stick shift, mm. because in my imagination, electric cars are going to have stick shifts. Well, of course. You just need to get a frustratingly short blast of
0: ch ch, ch- changes <laughs> You could have the air conditioning rigged up to wind of change. <laughs> oh, my God, air conditioning making noise. That's amazing. Unchain my heart for the seatbelt. Oh, yeah.
1: <laughs> well, I, I just think the other direction we can go mm. is to just throw our hat in with these new age, space age, whizzy nonsense, everything has to sound like a Windows startup sound. Okay. But I say we we beat them at their own game mm-hmm. and make the engine sound whale song. <laughs> Just like relaxation whale song.
0: I think that would be kind of cool. Yeah, and actually, if you made it whale song, it becomes a bit of a statement. It's like... I'm driving an electric car to save the planet. Yeah. I mean, to be honest, I was thinking that there might be a whole category of sounds that could be much more direct. Oh, yeah. It could just be a voice going, who's polluting then? <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I need you to isolate that audio <laughs> and just send it to every car company you can find. That was the perfect reading. Or it could be kind of self-deprecatingly ironic. Mm. You could have noises that, where, where it's just someone going, vroom, <laughs> Meow. <laughs> Oh, if we're talking about Vroom,
1: there has got to be an audience for your car making a excellently recorded binaural, (laughs) full-spectrum, high-fidelity steam train sound.
0: Oh, you're so on the same tip that my wife was. I think that would be so cool. Like... A huge locomotive. You've already made the sound it needs. Oh, yeah? A stampede of horses. (laughs) (laughs) Or again, for, as you said,
1: for that self-deprecating element among us, Mm. you just have one that sounds like a cheap bicycle going over cobbles. (laughs) (laughs) With a bell kind of rattling tunefully as you go. (laughs) Exactly, exactly that. The sound that introduces the love interest in every French film I've ever sat through.
0: You can tell because we both had that moment of recognition that we've watched too many French art house films. (laughs) Yes.
1: Yeah. Can you hear it, listener? The kind of the clatter of a bicycle that is homely but imperfect, (laughs) sort of wonderful in its own bodged togetherness Mm. and going over cobbles, ready to fall over and spill a full bag of onions, (laughs) uh, which surely only our hero
0: can help pick up. Could there be manufacturer-specific ones as well? Tell me more. You you could have it like your Bentley. You could press the horn and it would go, excuse me, I don't suppose uh, you wouldn't mind me sneaking through. <laughs> Whereas the Ford Transit could be like, Oi! Out of the way, <laughs> Now, here at Project Studio Tea Break, we are the last people in the world who would like to have justifiable accusations of elitism aimed at us. Heaven defend us. And so... In the field of Toast Foley, Mm -hmm. we like to encourage guest artists to become involved. We do. And so, this month's Toast Foley is a guest contribution. And here it is. See, this for me is Rhapsody
1: on Toast Foley. Mm. What we have here is less a facsimile of something as base as a knife and a piece of toast and some butter jam or marmalade. Mm. This is something more playful. Mm. It's in the same way as no one would claim that Duke Ellington played the tune of each of his standards correctly, (laughs) because it's not about correctly. But it shows such a deep understanding Mm. of the melody. It's interpretation, it's elevation. Mm. This is the toast we can only dream of spreading. <laughs> it's got a bit of digitism to it mm. kind of in, in that what i'm hearing is a pitch shift mm. but it's got the soul is it a sound and then that sound reversed
0: I, I don't know yeah actually that's a pretty good stab at it to be fair okay it is a sound combined with the sound that's been reversed it's also been high pass filtered from its original version oh because the guest toast foley contributor this month is a 1.25 metre long Chinese alligator <gasps> on Heliox. Oh my god! <laughs> <laughs> Massive! Made it onto the podcast. Thank, thank you so much. I searched deep into the research paper and found the additional resources site that included recordings of said alligator. Oh my,
1: well done. <laughs> uh, you know, what? I remember I said to you maybe six or seven episodes ago, Mike, I feel like we're coming to The end of Toast Foley. I just, I don't know if there's any new ground to break here. Uh, What do you shame me with? You shame me with seven months of exceptionally innovative takes topped up by a reference to a podcast alligator as a Toast Foley. That is remarkable and upsetting in equal measure. Okay, well, so for such a prodigious Toast Foley, I can only assume that you have some incredibly high quality jam to smear on top of that.
0: Well, as it happens, yes, I do. O- okay. And the track I sent you a little while back from a band called Idols. Mm-hmm. It's a track called Grounds and comes from their album Ultra Mono. Mm-hmm. Literally, I only discovered about the band and about the album and the record about a week ago when I was scanning through the charts, as I usually do every month, looking for stuff for Mixed Review. Mm. And it debuted at the top of the UK album charts. It's actually their third album, I think, mm. and has also gone like number six on the Billboard Rock charts. Really, it's about number 50 in the main in the main album charts. Oh wow! It's basically just a really raw, gutsy, slightly riff-based, but a little bit more avant-garde than that. Rock band, but with a shouting front man rather than a singing front man. Yeah, and it works. And now, you have on many occasions accused me of being a, a more notes is better kind of guy.
1: This is true.
0: As are my accusations. <laughs> so I was delighted to have an opportunity to rave about a track like this. That is, I mean, almost the polar opposite, wouldn't
1: you say? I No, I think so. I mean, it's a one-bar riff for the entire track. Yes, kind of. It's lyrically magnificent, which again is something that I have argued might be an occasional blind spot with you. And and just to be clear, this is not a huge band yet, though they may well be going that way. I'm looking at the official music video. Mm. And it's got less than a million views. So, top of the charts, and less than a million views. This all smells of new. This all smells of arriving.
0: Yeah, I mean, they've been around for a while, but they're not really a singles band. Right. And so I think they've just built up a following and they're getting this reputation for being a great live band. Right. You can imagine being great live. I I mean, I can, yes. Yeah, now, the reason I wanted to bring this up was partly because I just think it's a tremendously exciting record. I think it's a fabulous record and everyone should listen to it. But it's also interesting because what would you label their style? Minimal rock, I
1: guess. I, I mean, I would struggle. It's punky, rocky vocals. There you go, there's the
0: word, punk. Yeah. Now you see, punk is the kind of hook that the media on the whole have been hanging this band on. I can see that, I can see why. It sounds like it's recorded in a garage. Mm-hmm. It's got that kind of big roomy sound you associate with a Sex Pistols first record. You can see it's shouty, it's like a lot of distorted guitars and stuff. It feels anti-establishment.
1: The most punky thing I can hear in it is just that, that really f- you approach to tuning. <laughs> It's kind of like, this is where I'm putting this note. Yes. And you can f***ing deal with it. Yeah. And I mean, to structure as well, the lyrics kind of go wherever they
0: feel like. But you see, this is where I actually agree with the front man, because the front man, even like two or three years ago, was saying, for the last time, we're not a f***ing punk band. (laughs) I think all the things that make this punk are surface things. Okay, And the thing I'm hearing in this is actually that this is potentially a template for what a band can sound like and how bands potentially, I think, could move into the mainstream again. You know, because the pendulum has swung away from bands for many years. Mm, mm. Because it's a band sound that couldn't have been made in any other era than one that is infused with the big hip hop and EDM records that we've been hearing. Ha! Because of that looped riff. Well, there's a bunch of things. It's like from the hip hop side, Absolutely what you said about the structure of the song is a big deal. Mm. Modern hip-hop tracks like um, This Is America or Vossi Bop or Mm. things like that, all Mm. these kind of strange ones that Drake's been doing, Mm. structure kind of goes out the window in any traditional form. And this is so not a traditional structure. I mean, you get little repeating bits and stuff, and it seems like you're getting verse-chorus, but if you were going to label it like that, you'd say, well, okay, so we have four versions of verse-chorus and then an outro. And that's no kind of, (laughs) that's no kind of structure. No, you're right, that idea of verse-chorus
1: structure just kind of stops being useful as a way to classify.
0: And also the whole issue of saying, I don't care whether you officially would label this music. Mm, mm. it's not rock music anymore it's like rock soundscape (laughs) and that is totally hip-hop yes that's it rock soundscape if you listen to it enough you go okay yeah there's a kind of a root note that feels like it's a home place but there's all sorts of like you say these strange kind of pitch risey fally things you're not quite sure what's going on Mm. that's where it kind of leads a little bit more to me between the hip-hop and edm thing that the drums sound almost like a drum machine Mm. they sound almost sample they've got that feeling of you using samples when you're mixing the drum sound it's very kind of ponderous a bit dubsteppy yeah you get masses of low end much more than you'd normally expect on a rock record Mm. it's much more like hip-hop on edm and then all this kind of sound design is more important than the notes than the music that's yes and that's like edm like there's a bit where the bass kind of goes it's very dubsteppy and this is the thing i think about it What they've done is they've created a rock record that has incorporated all these elements from these other styles that have been reigning the the mainstream for ages and made a rock record that does that. Mm. It's it's TikTokable, isn't it? The bits are so short.
1: Yeah, because you could pull out any little bit of it and it would be instantly recognizable as the whole song. And it's all about
0: hooks and not about music.
1: Yeah, this song could very easily be
0: twice the length, half the length. Or as you say, 15
1: seconds long on a TikTok.
0: I mean, the thing about hip-hop and EDM is that both of those styles have been democratised. Because you can do it with a copy of Fruity Loops and the microphone on your phone. And this sound and this style is democratising the idea of doing a band.
1: Because anyone can make
0: it. It doesn't have to be well recorded. It's all about just creating interesting sounds. Mm-mm. It can be roomy and a bit thrashy. And there's no singing. And there's no like musical structure as such. Mm. It's just we make some loud noises and have attitude, mm. which is basically the hip hop model.
1: What I worry about
0: in terms of this bring back bands
1: yeah. is that after listening to this track three or four times, I'm only really interested in the singer. Yeah, It's kind of that model for me of there's a vocalist and then there's the person in charge of the beat. Yeah. If someone came up to me at a party and said, well, no, I didn't write it, but I was actually the guitarist on there. Yeah. I would be really polite because I was raised correctly, but I would not be that excited to meet the person who could play that on guitar.
0: But the funny thing is, if you look at a hip hop production, Mm. you've got the rapper, but the producer's a big deal too. One other person, yes. And so if you take the model of the hip hop production and say, okay, you've got the lead artist and then you might have some kind of a featured artist. So that's two people involved. Mm. Then you might have two producers... And so what they've done is they've kind of brought all those bits in-house and made a band out of it, kind of. I want that to be true, but for me, featured artists
1: are the antithesis of a band because they come and they go. They're here for this song and then they're gone.
0: No, I get that. But I I think if you take this idea of this talent pool that you have that creates a hip-hop track, or in fact, actually, an EDM track too. Mm. You'll have a, a singer at the front and then you'll have a production team behind. Yeah. You know, if you brought all that skill together and called it a band... That's what they've done. Mm. You've got a rapper at the front and you've got people who make the noise.
1: People who make the noise behind. Yeah. But if I think of the last kind of contemporary bands that I was excited about, wow, it's a long time ago. That's the thing. Stuff like Hot Chip and Block Party like a long, long time ago. Mm. And part of what I loved about that and part of what I loved about loving bands is that I love Block Party's singer, but also there was stuff that the drummer did on the hi-hats that I just thought was insane. Yeah. And I would listen for that. And when I'd hear that, I'd be excited because the drum was doing that. Mm. And like, I, I loved the bass riffs. Mm. Just as bass riffs, as separately And I could identify that with the person Same with Hot Chip I would hear something be like Okay, I know who's playing that Yeah Because it's their style brought to this Yeah It's like these different personalities And, you know, was a time I knew everyone's name Because it made sense to know names Because you were here in collaboration Yeah And with hip-hop collaborations For me, that's never gone past two names Right The rapper and the producer Like, I love the stuff that X and Y do together. Or, or even kind of modern pop that, that Mark Runson and Amy Winehouse yeah, did together. Yeah. Great, but I don't know who the horn players were yeah because they're not relevant. I don't know. If I get nostalgic for band time, I would get nostalgic for knowing who the idol's bass player is and knowing who the idol's guitar player is. And getting excited for that.
0: Yeah, I don't necessarily see an an impasse there. I don't think it's mutually exclusive. Right. I can see how if you're listening to this band and you're thinking, that's fabulous sound design on the guitars, Mm. then you'll look at the guitarist for that because he'll be twiddling his pedals, won't he? Yeah, yeah. And the bass player gets bits where he plays on his own and you'll be able to look at him and the drummer clearly is driving the whole thing anyway.
1: Pushing everything.
0: It just makes me feel very positive. You know, I've seen this for a while, that we live now in an age where every new musician has access to every other type of music that's ever been made ever yeah you'll never get again the concept of the darkness reselling you acdc or police reselling you reggae or you know right right or the rolling stones reselling you blues <laughs> you won't get this because everyone hears everything all the time this is why i say i don't think this record really could have existed before this point in history right because you've got to be listening to edm and hip hop and all this kind of stuff to end up at this point mm. that's why i think this is such an exciting development i know i compl- completely agree this is i would like it to be the future of the band i i'm with you there (laughs) unfortunately it appears that this album has already dropped to number 28 in the uk charts the following week so maybe it's a misfire Oh.
1: which brings us once again to the close of project studio tea break thank you so much for joining us thank you of course to my co-host and intern mike (laughs) senior we have time just before we close now to thank this month's sponsor. Yes, sir. So, so Mike, what was happening there? I was talking, then you <laughs> flapped your lips and made mouth noises. We have had this discussion before. Coffee, oat milk, now. <laughs> so sorry about that. Um, we, we're thrilled this month to be supported by Cine Musica. Now, Cine Musica know how hard it is to be a recording engineer in these modern days. You know, Mm. music is being democratised. Everyone's having their moment in the studio. And the person at the desk is sometimes asked to perform miracles, Mm. asked to make a performance brilliant with the tools they have at hand instantly. (laughs) And, you know, sometimes the performance just doesn't allow for that. Mm. And until now, the tools just haven't been available, Mm. which is why we're thrilled this month to be able to announce... Cine Musica's no-pass filter. (laughs) The application of this filter on any problem instrument or problem performance will solve it instantaneously. Fabulous. It has lots of buttons on it, like soft knee, no knee, medium knee, Mm -hmm. rounded ankle, jutted (laughs) hip, which your client is welcome to play with to their heart's content... But whatever they do, the no-pass filter Mm. will live true to its name and it will solve the problem of that performance.
0: Well, it sounds like it would have been an essential for the mixed rescue column. (laughs) I mean, I'm gutted that I got through about 60 of those without it.
1: They even suggest that when you're suffering from ear (laughs) fatigue, one
0: of these applied to the stereo out can be a (laughs) real improvement. And I mean, there's a symmetry that a no-pass filter should exist when an all-pass filter exists. Well, there we go. I mean, it amazes me that this technology hasn't been developed earlier. It's just the yin and the yang, isn't
1: it? And no one could deny that the results are often vastly, vastly preferable. So huge thanks to Cinemusica uh, and their team of innovative engineers. Indeed. If before next month you'd like to talk to us again because you miss us, then that's fine and nothing to be ashamed of. Uh, You can tweet us at PSTB.com tweets uh you can face us at facebook.com forward slash pstb books
0: uh can you drop us an email mike you certainly can by amazing directing your email me bob to <laughs> tea break at project studio and if you would like even more of this yes please more or less but probably less inspired nonsense then do head <laughs> over to our Patreon page where you can find Sisyphus at gmail.com. Oh, yes. Our views on Northern Italian cuisine and King Arthur on ice. Hotly awaited views (laughs) on North Italian cuisine. Anything to plug this month, Mike? Well, what's your least favourite day of the week, John? Oh, that would have to be a Monday. Well, I thought Monday you were still a little bit on a high after Sunday. And as a freelancer, you've got that soft start into the week.
1: I'll be honest. I was just trying to be relatable to the masses. (laughs) Days of the week haven't meant anything to me for about 15 years.
0: Well, for me, it's Tuesday. Oh, right. Because it's far enough away from the weekend that you've lost that weekend afterglow thing. Mm -hmm. But then you've got a hell of a long way until Friday (laughs) evening. till the
1: next one arrives. It's still
0: a real uphill struggle. Okay. And so to try to... Ease the Tuesday malaise. Mm. For my uh, Cambridge MT patrons, I've started a new video series. Oh exciting. Called Tuesday's Troubleshooting Tips. <laughs>
1: If it alliterates that well. Now,
0: of course, if my least favourite day had been Wednesday, it would have had to have been Wednesday's wobble shooting whips. <laughs> so I'm glad it was Tuesday. Oh, we could dream of living in such a world. <laughs> that sounds magnificent. But yeah, so the first couple are, are actually free to view at the moment. Gorgeous. So that's cambridgemt.com? Well, it's via my Patreon campaign, which is patreon.com slash cambridgemt, or one word. That's exciting stuff. And you? I'm going to be sleeping for most of this month.
1: <laughs> so. Well, you've deserved it. And, I, you know, I will obviously be live streaming that on my OnlyFans. So anyone who does want to watch is is welcome to. The rates are very reasonable.
0: Without further ado, let us bid you adieu. <laughs> Goodbyes are hard, aren't they? Like oh, okay. Ta-ra fets. Ta-ra! <laughs>